Hello, everyone. My name is Hoshina Seki, and this is the American Buddhist Study Center's podcast show. If you are a Buddhist or interested in learning about Buddhism and Japanese culture, then this is a place to be. Today, our special guest is Carl Palmer. Carl is a building manager and caretaker for the New York Buddhist Church. The church is divided into two buildings. One building housed the temple, the church office, and a dojo down in the basement. In front of this building is a Shinran Shonin statue. The other is a New York landmark building, for it once was a home of movie actress Marion Davies. On the third floor is where the ABSE is located. The other floors include a reception room, a meditation room, kitchen, and living quarters, which Carl takes care of all. So, welcome, Carl. <laughs> hey, thank you, Hoshina. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on your podcast, and I'm very surprised that you asked me to be on it. Um, so I will do my best <laughs> to answer all your questions. Thank Great. you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for being on, on our podcast show. I think, um, you know, you're, you're not Japanese. Um, right, right. And um, yeah, you're taking care of a, uh, a Buddhist, uh, Jap basically a Jodo Shinshu Buddhist church. And um, you've been doing this for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I think our listeners would like to know why and why are you working for a Buddhist church and why are you why are you a building manager? Yeah, it's a why am I a building manager of a Buddhist church? Well, this is a long story, so I hope your your uh, your listeners have their bowl of popcorn ready because <laughs> uh, this it's quite a long story. First, first and foremost, it's an honor to uh, live at New York Buddhist Church. Uh, I think I've been doing it for almost. Man, I think, well, this is what, 2021? So I moved in, yeah. I moved in March, uh, I think late March or maybe early April 2011. So I think this year I'll be pushing 10 years. So, uh, wow. which could be, I'll have to talk to some of my superiors, but I think that could be the longest caretaker in New York Buddhist Church history. I think so. I think so. Other than, uh, I mean, other than old man Sam, you know. Uh, who everybody knows in the community. You know, he's been kind of the caretaker for a long time. But as far as living on premises, I think I'll, I'll be pushing 10 years this year. Uh, right. Yes, yes, I'm not I'm not Japanese. I'm Filipino-American. And um, to think of how this works, I have to kind of rewind how my life uh, began and how how things evolved to get me to New York Buddhist Church. And that probably started... Um, from the interest in Buddhism in general. Um, when I was in community college, um, I went to uh, study Eastern philosophy as my, as my uh, what's it called? Uh, was it elective, elective. So when I took an elective into philosophy, I started Western philosophy and then Eastern philosophy. And then one of my group projects was studying the Tibetan book of the dead. So we had to kind of translate the, the, the Book of the Dead and do this um, uh, 
chapter, a group project. And that got me intro introduced uh, into Buddhism. I first was really into Taoism because of the Eastern philosophy class. So I kind of dabbled in reading a lot of philosophy. Uh, okay. And that led into heavy, heavy kind of just jumping into the deep end, studying uh, into meditation. Now living in South Jersey, I was kind of just dabbling and visiting all these different temples. And I remember the first temple I did as part of uh, one of my research projects was a Zen temple in Shimong. Uh, I didn't know what um, school of uh, Buddhism they were, but I kind of joined in and that was my first experience into Zazen. And it was, I was sitting at home, you know, five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes uh, meditating at home, just kind of trying to figure it out. But this was my first deep end into Zazen. And that, that Zazen session was, I think, 45 minutes. So, you know, you go into the meditation room and I never really sat for longer than five or 10 minutes. This was 45 minutes. So I remember, <laughs> you know, you're, you're sitting on the, on the cushion and, uh, and I, I kind of had a breakthrough. I think I, I think I had a breakthrough right after 30 minutes and I did 45. I couldn't feel my legs, but it, it felt good. It felt good. Mm -hmm. And then after that, studying the Tibetan Book of the Dead with my class, and I, I felt that was really, really something that was kind of, you know, pushing me into the, the limelight of Buddhism, even though I was born Roman Catholic as a Filipino American. Um, so from there, I was always dabbling, reading Buddhist, Buddhist texts, whether it was Zen or Tibetan or Chinese, and I went to school for jazz. So I was going to school for music and I was really okay. heavily reading a lot of Vajrayana texts in the uh, mm -hmm. Tibetan Buddhism. And uh, it became, it became something of, of interest, but at the same time I was studying music and being Asian American, I didn't really have a connect to anything musically Asian. I was taking jazz, which is an American art form. I was studying uh, classical snare. I was studying some type of Latin music and uh, and there was a world ensemble, but the world ensemble was more more in the South American, Brazilian type nature music. So I was thinking, like, what what can I learn that's from Asia? So I started researching that. I started researching, and then what I found was the Chinese uh, was it the dragon drumming, the you know the dragon boat festival drumming. Um, traditional Malaysian drumming, which I really couldn't find a group to. And then out of nowhere, I found taiko. So Japanese drumming. And something right. something kind of bit me because out of nowhere, I remember seeing an episode. It could have been, I think it was PBS, you know, on Sesame Street. And I remember there was yeah. taiko on Sesame Street, which is kind of interesting because that was so taiko from New York Buddhist Church. <laughs> but yeah, I, they're pretty famous. Yeah. They are famous, yeah, not pretty famous. They're really famous. Right. So I, I remember taiko, and then I just started looking up where to learn how to play taiko. And I thought it was really cool, and I just wanted to learn something because I was learning very something different. And being born uh, here in Jersey, I was you know pretty. I didn't really have a lot of Asian friends, so I wanted to learn something cultural. So that got me into taiko, and I started contacting the leader of that group called Hodaiko, and the, the leader at the time was Tamiko Oka uh, from Seabrook Buddhist Temple. So I contacted them and then I was able to get in the group and that, that spawned into this two and a half junior member career, uh, prohibition, mayor, uh, pro, prohibition member, uh, 
and I started learning Taiko. And that really got me into the community with within Seabrook Buddhist Temple, which connected me to New York Buddhist Church. How that connected to New York Buddhist Church is a whole nother story because I wanted to get a job in New York City. So after I finished jazz school, I, I, I only did about two years. And then I was studying, I, was start, I started to study Taiko and then I started to take classes in New York City for audio engineering. So the audio engineering program was a nine month program. And my goal was to eventually to move into New York City, become play music, mm -hmm. play music, get a job in a recording studio and pretty much evolve uh, my life around music, but still, you know, Buddhism was getting more and more into my life. And I still, I, of course, I wanted to always have that in my life with meditating and things like that. So what happened was I got, I, I got my degree in audio engineering. I was still playing Taiko and um, what I started interning in New York City. Now I had this reputation at the school for always watching Taiko videos or always <laughs> watching ja something Japanese on YouTube, mainly Taiko. And um, I would practice in the practice rooms. I used to practice chapa, the hand symbols, um, getting ready for concerts and performances, things with, with Hodaiko. So when it came about time to finding an internship, um, I interned at one studio and it was okay, but eventually I went back to the school and they said, well, Carl, you have an interest in, in Japanese culture, don't you? And I said, well, yeah. I said, well, I play taiko and I, I love that, but I wouldn't necessarily have a full interest. But but they said, well, you know, there's a studio in, in downtown called Campo, Campo Cultural Center. And it's a recording studio based out of Japan. Why don't you go check that out? So I said, okay, cool. I landed the job at Campo and I was commuting mm -hmm. from South Jersey pretty much almost every day or every other day working for free, a free internship at this awesome recording studio. And it was Japanese based. And it was really cool because the first floor had a, a Baha gallery. They had all these bronze and gold and copper statues from Tibet. And they had a big Buddhist gallery there. And then we recorded a, a ton of great music, world music, jazz, rock, uh, artists from Japan, rock bands from Japan, things like that. And I really loved it until we went bankrupt. <laughs> we, oh. So we went bankrupt. And I was there for about a year or so. And I was really working my way up the ranks and it was really great. I was loving New York City. And then we went bankrupt and it was terrible. And then I didn't know what to do. So I was still commuting. I was still taking the train from, you know, from NJ Transit from South Jersey. That was like a, what, almost a two hour commute, you know, every, yeah. every day, three, two, three hour commute. And then, so I landed kind of back in Philadelphia, working at another recording studio, owning my chops there until Tomiko and, and Hodaiko contacted me and said, hey, you know, um, the caretaker from New York Buddhist Church, who was at the time, his name was Win Yamami, he also played in the Taiko group there. Now, in the East Coast of America, I'm not sure if the listeners know, in the East Coast of America, there are three Taiko groups and there's three Jodo Shinshu temples. Now, correct me. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say that because you've been mentioning Hodaiko a lot and uh, they're part of the Seabrook Buddhist right, temple. Right, right. So there's this community of uh, Seabrook Buddhist Temple, which is in South Jersey. They're in uh, Seabrook, New Jersey. And then the Mother Temple, which is in New York City. Uh, and then I believe the newest temple, correct me if I'm wrong, Hoshina, is in Fairfax, Virginia, right? Echoji. Yeah, at Echoji, right. 
taiko group yeah, there. Each temple or church has their own resident taiko group. Now, New York Buddhist Church has Soul Daiko, which is the oldest taiko group in the East Coast of America, 1979. And I remember when I met Alan Okada and his wife, Merle Okada, and uh, the members that were there, uh, I mean, I was just blown away by the talent, the precision. And uh, I knew that, you know, playing taiko and meeting meeting new friends there, it was a big responsibility, not only just of uh, preserving Japanese culture, um, but preserving a community as well. And once the community helped me out and they recommended me for the job at New York Buddhist Church, I took it seriously. And it took me about a year or so to get the job. But I remember walking in into New York Buddhist Church. I had a suit on that probably didn't fit me that well. <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> I remember. And, I, you know, I, and I'm walking, uh, you know, took that little. I, I think that was the last day you ever wore a suit. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, you know, going to my, you know, some weddings and things like that. But, but you know, I was, I was really down in the dumps financially. And I was really, and I remember just everybody kind of sticking up for me, saying, hey, Carl, you know, we want to help you out. So, you know, I, I, I did my best. And, you know, at the time, I was really studying a lot of Buddhism. And Buddhism was really helping me in a way that uh, just uh, made me realize that, you know, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> You know, so so then I landed the interview, and then I remember getting the interview, and then I was accepted, and then uh, yeah, and then the, that March or April two thousand eleven, I moved into New York Buddhist Church as the caretaker, and I really took really took it seriously because one of the mottos that I had in my head at the time was that if I take care of the temple really well, the temple will take care of me. Right. right. So that's the way I kind of approached it. And that's the way I kind of still can approach. It. And then nine, ten years later, uh, I'm I'm here. I'm still here. So, right, right, right. Yeah, that that is really an incredible story. Uh, starting with the the taiko drumming, yeah. and I think our audience would like to know because I well they've probably seen taiko drumming, uh, you know, on uh, performed on TV or live performances, but. Uh, with taiko drumming, um, I'm not a taiko drummer, but I know that there's no music sheets or 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 anything like right. that. Uh, each of you like instinctively learn how to hit the drums and hit it at the right time. Right, right. Which I always think is rather amazing, and I think that's a really an Asian art. Yeah. Uh, and compared to European music, where they have uh, you know music sheets and and notes and things like that, mm. so um, it's quite a uh, remarkable that you were able to catch on and be able to become one of the taiko. Drums. Yeah, I I, I mean, um, it was completely different. It was everything was by by ear and by uh, oral or an oral. Uh, teaching, so you had to learn I mean, the the names of how to hit, like don don suku don don. That's a hit right there. Ten taka ten taka ten taka ten. That's another that's another rhythm right there. And everything was very group oriented. So you learn how to play with the oh. group. So the whole thing was being harmonious with each other, and uh, eventually everything becomes one note, one one hit. And I really loved it. I mean, Hodaiko, those guys to me are like family. And uh, same thing with Sodaiko, Nendaiko. The whole Taiko community has always been really 
really cool and gracious to me. And I, I learned a lot. Uh, even like my first Japanese cooking lessons was with my senpai, uh, Kaz, Kaz Osei. Um, and I learned it, and, I, and, it, and it was an introduction to uh, Japanese culture in, in general, learning the, the relationship of a senpai and kohai. Your, yeah, why don't you explain to us what a senpai and kohai Well, senpai is. kohai was, is, is uh, my interpretation of it was kind of like you have your, your, your leader or your guide. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, it's a little bit of a hierarchy. So with my senpai, uh, you know, I would never have him, he would never carry a drum. <laughs> I would carry the drum for him. You know, I would always check up on if I was doing something wrong that wasn't within the boundaries of the the group. My my senpai would call me out on that. So uh, it was for me. It was kind of like an uncle, you know, an uncle and a and a guide. So in a way, Holdaiko was very very um, I guess strict in that way, which I liked. I liked that we we were a family group, but you know they they. They taught you well. They they taught you well. So if you made a mistake, that you you would know about it. And I'm I'm really grateful for that. You know, I miss I miss those guys. I miss playing taiko after uh, after moving into New York Buddhist Church. I really wanted to play, but then I didn't realize the requirements um, needed to take care of a five five floor building. You know, so I remember my requirements for uh, landing the position. You know, I only had this one piece of paper that said what you needed to do to maintain the place. You know, I think my contract with New York Buddhist church is 20 to 25 hours a week, but you know, I go, I go well, well over that all the time. So. I think so. Yeah. And it was on the job training for you when you, when you came aboard. Yeah. It's on the job training. It's kind of like, you know, being on a episode of this old house, but this old house is from the late 1800s. (laughs) Five floors, five floors. And and there's the certain demands of um i mean you're living you're living in a temple you're living in a temple so everything everything you do is a kind of a form of practice you know every, your actions your mind your uh the way you uh, perceive things it's all over it's all of a reminder of of keeping the practice and keeping your grounding so, and it's it's been tough especially during covid uh since covid started in uh, 2020 uh, you know I, I think i think it was a reminder for me uh, to stay grounded. Yeah, when the when when the COVID uh, uh, broke out, uh, the temple was yeah. closed, which meant um, uh, our study center floor, which is on the third floor, as I mentioned, was closed also. So we we normally hold programs in yeah. our library. We were in, we were not able to hold any programs for the entire year there. Um, so it was a hardship, I think, for for all of us, but yet, um, you know, you are still living in, in the building and uh, managing and taking care of it. And uh, I remember you had um, anyone who came in, they had to uh, get a temperature check and things like that. And that was like basically way before people were doing that kind of thing and, and following certain protocols. So. Uh, good, good, good for you, Carl. <laughs> Thank you, Oshina. I mean, I, I just, I, I was following the websites and, and being, being caretaker of the church, you know, is, is, uh, man, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. I mean, um, you live there, you know, so I live there. I live in the top floor and it, you just treat the place like it's your own home, your own home. But it's, you have a little bit more public limelight. 
than than other things, uh, especially working with the resident minister. You have to coordinate things with them. I remember when I first moved in, uh, it was Reverend Matsubashi. And Reverend Matsubashi was very Japanese. He was very Japanese. Uh, I knew his schedule in and out, nine to five, perfectly on the money. And, uh, you know, uh, learning how to mm-hmm. talk and deal with Reverend Matsubashi, even though I didn't know much Japanese, but I was learning it on the spot, I was learning how to be very respectful and also catering towards him. And so I think he stayed there for, what, two two years, right, Hoshi? Around two, yeah, around two yeah, years. Yeah, so about right? two years, and, right. you know, I was getting along with him and his wife, and um, every day, every day, either cleaning something, fixing something, maintaining something, or scheduling mm-hmm. something to be fixed or maintained. And then on top of that, I was also helping Reverend Matsubashi with uh, with uh, with services, too, meditation class. Uh, I had my hands a little bit in everything. Was that really in my... Uh, my uh, sheet of things to do uh, no but i was willing to help and i always liked it since it was the dharma it was yeah right right yeah i think you definitely had a a, a passion for, for japanese culture and and buddhism and and buddhism is uh giving mm-hmm. uh and you certainly did give a lot of yourself for the temple and and uh, all the people who lived in it when and interact with yeah. the temple. Um, I know that before the pandemic, besides taking care of the temple, you were very, very active. You worked for a, um, a Japanese restaurant, and then you basically broke out on your <laughs> own. And then you were doing uh, something with, uh, with um, not a food truck, but you were going to... Um, well, why don't you just tell us a little yeah, bit about um, it? On the week. How- how you got all involved in in in, in the food well, I business. owe that again to the back to the Japanese community, Japanese and Japanese American community. So, I moved in into New York Buddhist Church 2011, and I was looking. I remember I was on the weekends. I'd go out play drums, open mics, uh, looking for studio gigs, and I was a little rusty, so I was a little hesitant on going back in the studio. So, I I decided to pick up some side gigs working in, in a rest in a restaurant and it didn't work out. I worked at a couple places, ended up pulling my back <laughs> at the restaurant, uh, bussing tables and it hurt. And then I remember Toyo, Toyo Kikuchi, uh, she passed away, what, 2015? Yeah, so. Toyo Kikuchi yeah. was an integral part of the uh, community at New York Buddhist Church and the Japanese American community. She connected, she's told me, she said, hey, I know this, you know, uh, restaurateur that, owns a lot of restaurants in East Village. And um, you you want to try working in one of those places? And I said, sure. You know, I, I love Japanese food. I don't know all of it, but I know some, uh, you know, the typical sushi bowls of ramen, things like that. And uh, she said, well, let me contact with him. And um, that was Mr. Bonyagi from the TIC restaurant group. And uh, they were able to kind of make room for me working at one of the restaurants called uh, Otafuku. Otafuku, uh, is a small restaurant. They they serve what we call konoman foods, which is your typical uh, wheat flake, wheat flour based foods from Osaka, uh, takoyaki, okonomiyaki, yakisoba. So I started working there part time, uh, learning how to cook takoyaki and things like that. But I was more or less a register guy. You know, I was only working about one or two days a week. You know, they were making an exception for me to uh, you know just make a couple bucks and. Um, and then out of nowhere, 
something happened, I think, with management. I think uh, the manager decided to move on. So the manager quit and then the staff started. You know, there was really no leadership left in the group. So, you know, things just kind of just moved on. And uh, so I was working there. But I didn't really know how to cook takoyaki uh, and this stuff. I, I, you know, I was kind of just hitting you know, the register buttons. So Mr. Yagi calls me in the office and he knew that he was looking at my resume and said, hey, you know, I see that you used to run a restaurant back in South Jersey. You were, you know, a day manager. I said, yes, Mr. Yagi, you know, I did. And he said, well, you know, we, we need a new general manager. <laughs> I said, holy smokes. So, you know, I wasn't really thinking about it because I was I wanted to play music, but I needed the money uh, financially. I needed something, you know, I was getting older. I needed you know, grounding and I needed to make a stable living. So I talked to my parents, you know, and then my parents said, why don't you just give it a shot? Just give it a shot, you know, give it a try. So I gave it a try and then I became the general manager. And then within months, I had to kind of just dive in and research how to cook this stuff, the takoyaki, the okonomiyaki, yakisoba, and then hire Yeah, I think, uh, I think people might not know what- Oh, takoyaki. Taco so takoyaki is, is a- you have the three the three foods. Takoyaki is a a boiled piece of octopus around a a dough, a breaded dough, and it becomes shaped into a ball. So it's like a dough ball, or you could even think like a crepe ball, like a pancake batter ball. And inside there's a piece of savory octopus mm -hmm. in there. So it's one of the many street foods from Japan, as well as okonomiyaki. Okonomiyaki translates into whatever you like, yaki. Yaki means to grill or fry or cook in oil. So takoyaki, the translation becomes octopus grilled or octopus fried. Okonomiyaki is whatever you like <laughs> fried. It's like a cabbage, it's a cabbage okay. pancake. Um, and then yakisoba is your soba noodles, stir fried, kind of like a, a Japanese version of chow, chow mein. So, yeah. Right. So that, I had to learn everything and then I had to hire a whole new staff. And then I think it kind of, kind of got better. You know, it kind of got better. I was feeling confident with the new staff. I, had a, I hired a lot of college kids and I was doing that. I started clocking hours being the general manager. I think I was starting to clock in about 60 hours a week there. And then on top of that, New York Buddhist church, I started clocking in about, you know, another 25, 30. So I think I was averaging about 80 hours a week in work from late 2000 from 2012 on to two the mid 2013 that was a year and a half of running a restaurant and running the temple at the same time which was tough because i think reverend matsubarashi he, he um he retired what 2013 um i can't remember exactly 2013. Well, anyway, he retired, and then there was a period of time where I was just living by myself <laughs> at New York Buddhist Church. The whole building was just me, and we didn't have a, a resident minister, and I was a member taking care of the building and then taking care of the restaurant at the same time, and I think, you know, what the listeners would probably be be interested in because you know we're talking about dharma related things at least my interpretation of the dharma uh since i'm not a you know uh a registered minister but so i could only interpret it interpret what i what i what i think i think what what really landed to me with the when i was there living by myself i'll tell you a little story was 
one day, you know, I'm doing my thing uh, at the church and I get a doorbell. The doorbell rings. And uh, so the doorbell rings. Okay. And I go downstairs and there's a lady there, old Japanese lady, and she's crying. She's crying. And I, I didn't know what to say because I, I didn't I, I didn't speak any Japanese. But so she's talking to me and I realized that something she wanted to come and pray in the Hondo. So the Hondo is the cathedral. So I brought her in and, uh, you know, she did Oshoko. She did, uh, you know, incense offering. I, I knew how to do that from learning that from Reverend Matsubashi as far as setting up the altar from him. And she just, you know, did Oshoko and then she just, you know, sat down and she was just crying. I think apparently something like uh, she showed me a picture on her phone and I think somebody died in her family. So, and then uh, I think the, the only thing I could do, because I didn't speak Japanese, was just to sit there next to her and just sit there and be be by her side. Sit there and be by her side. And uh, I think that's one of the things that made a difference, uh, made me really think about as far as learning how to practice compassion, have some empathy towards people, uh, practice, uh, you know, your, uh, your preconceived ideas about things, your perceptions about people. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That was the very and, kind uh, thing you did. And, and yeah. unfortunately you have to, you know, think about how life is precious and there's things that you can't control. Eventually, we will all die, and we will all not exist anymore. And uh, how to how to mm -hmm. uh, right. deal with the certain anxieties and insecurities that we have, or other people have. So, I think when she came in, and then uh, you know, it was like uh, I wasn't the I wasn't the minister there, but I wasn't the monk in the temple. But at least I could do was just uh, being a, being a helping hand. Right. It sounds like you really learned a lot of empathy while while you are being at 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 the church working even now. But um, I like to um, also. Um, I think our listeners will also like to know that uh, you've been there. Mm -hmm. You know, like ten years now. Uh, you went in there as a single man. <laughs> yeah. You were married, <laughs> uh, and so. Um, I'm just amazed that, you know, here you are uh, working basically two full-time jobs and then um, uh, you manage to meet somebody, uh, but in between meeting that somebody, uh, you leave the restaurant and then you right, branch right. out on your own. And, um, and maybe you can tell us or tell the audience a little bit about, you know, branching out on your own, still managing the temple, and, and doing uh, these yes, uh, yeah. street fair cooking, so, I guess that's So back to the restaurant. I left the restaurant mid-2013, and I, it was just a, a, a burnout. It was a complete burnout. I was really burning out at the church, and I was really burning out at the restaurant. And if it, and anybody knows that when you run a restaurant, you know, you have this. What I did was I hired college students as my staff, and the college students had a ton of energy, a ton of exciting they were exciting they were happy they, they were, it was a great time but since they were in college you know they move into the next next grade level where they become uh, juniors to seniors and then so i had to get a new staff and get a new staff and get a new staff and each staff had their 
difficulties, but it was getting more and more difficult. Like I had a golden crew for a while and then I couldn't get that golden crew back, you know, that type of, those type of workers again, you know, granted I had great workers, but it was just really hard. It was really hard. So I started burning out, um, burning out, but the restaurant I believe was doing very good. So I ended up leaving the restaurant around uh, mid 2013 and I didn't work for about a year and a half, a year and a half, but I was still working at New York Buddhist church. Now what happened while I was still working at the restaurants, I started, I was able to kind of par- participate in a lot of these food, food blogs when the food blogs were getting big in New York city and around the nation. And I was able to participate in a lot of these videos. So I guess my popularity, my individual popularity started taking off a little bit. Um, so while I was working at the Otafuku restaurant, uh, I was also cooking at this thing called the Food Film Festival, which they had me cook in New York City, um, Chicago. I cooked in Chicago. They flew me out to Chicago and other places, South Carolina. Man, I forget the other place. Uh, what, did I cook in Florida? I think I cooked in yeah, I cooked in Florida as well. How that happened was the Food Film Festival made a documentary about the restaurant. Your listeners can go check it out. It's called Taco NY. If you go on Google, look up Taco NY, and Hoshi and I could send you these links uh, for show notes and things like that. And uh, and that right. was a documentary about the restaurant and cooking, and I was in the documentary. So the Food Film Festival ended traveling, you know, taking me to all these places to cook takoyaki. Once I left the restaurant in 2013, the Food Film Festival still had interest in me cooking, but I wasn't cooking anywhere. So that led to everybody in the food industry pushing me to cook full time, even though I wanted to kind of go back and play drums and music again. So around 2014, I met my uh, girlfriend at the the time. We eventually married about a year or so later. We decided to launch this food stand cooking takoyaki. And it was really hard because it was really, really hard because I'll tell you, Hoshina, you know, I worked in this restaurant and I didn't, I didn't want to make it seem like to the owners or things like that, that I was, you know, using their recipes and things like that. So what I did was clean slated Uh everything and tried to relearn everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> relearn how to cook. So out of respect for the food business that uh, the previous owners I used, I didn't want to use any of their ingredients, any of their, you know, formulas. I just had to relearn how to cook. And that's what brought me into diving in into really relearning how to cook and learning how to cook authentic takoyaki from Japan. So I launched the business and uh, it's called Carl's Balls. It's Kind of a stupid name, but it's very catchy. You won't forget it. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> we were all yeah. shocked when you and told us that, that came out of a and oh. that came out of a joke because I used to cook takoyaki in all these different places, and nobody knew anything about takoyaki, but they knew that the guy was cooking the no, but everybody knew that the guy who was cooking takoyaki was named Carl, which is me. So I was always at these food festivals cooking these octopus balls they you know the slang is like the is called octopus balls and then my name's carl but they mm-hmm. had no idea how to what the name of the dish was so they said oh these are balls you know these octopus balls and carl cooks them so it's carl's balls so 
so that was the running joke. So when I came up, when I was talking to all my food food friends about you know naming the business, they said, "Hey man, you got to name it Carl's Balls. There's no way you can't escape it." And I said, "And I said, well, okay, right. well, you know, I was okay. thinking about it, and you know, the business name is so stupid, but I take it so seriously, and being." Being that I'm Filipino American living in this Japanese world, I really started considering and thinking deeply about how could I give back to the community that has uh, given so much to me. Besides serving the Buddhist temple and uh, practicing the Dharma, uh, working with the Sangha, what can I do right. on another level that also uh, makes those requirements? So I started really diving in, thinking about how to practice the Dharma through cooking when it respects to the Sangha, the Sangha being the Japanese community and the Japanese, uh, the culture of takoyaki and the history of takoyaki from Osaka coming into the States and how to practice Dharma through cooking. So I started researching that, how to put, and that really came about being mindful of your recipe and mindful of your technique and putting all your effort, 100% your mind and your concentration to cooking. So that became another, another vehicle, if you will, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think uh, putting your mind to what you were doing uh, and your heart and soul to it as well, uh, you became very, very successful doing it. And, and I think you were just as busy or maybe more busier than uh, uh, doing doing your cooking in these uh, street fairs and and various other places uh, before the pre yeah, pre-pandemic, yeah. of course. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, um, I like to know now, um, you had like a year to think about your life. Uh, we all did, actually. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, what do you see yourself doing in the future? I mean, do you still want to be the building manager? Uh, do you want to get back to your music? Do you want to open up a restaurant? Uh, what are your future, future plans? plans? Man, that's so hard. That's so hard. Well, it's really hard to think about that because there's the ideals and then there's the real realistic things mm -hmm. are happening in the now. And I think the Dharma teaches us to really be focused on the present, you know, because once you think about the future, you're already, right. you're already losing what's happening in the present. So I try, I try to do my best to focus on, Hey, you know, I'm on, I'm in my bedroom. I'm on a laptop. I'm talking to Hoshina Seki. Hoshina Seki's dad is one of the pioneers of Buddhism in the West. And we're talking about, <laughs> you know, New York Buddhist church, the oldest Buddhist temple in New York city. Since what, 1938? Yeah, so. Right. Since 1938. Right. So, 1938. Um, ideally, ideally, I think uh, as far as food goes, I want to have a restaurant in New York City, a restaurant in LA, and a restaurant in Japan cooking takoyaki. Yeah, three, three locations. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because I see That's this as a response out of, yeah. you know, out of the, because it steamrolled Hoshina. It, it, it really did. It really, 
just the ball just kept on moving no pun intended from from uh from new york buddhist church to otaku to running my own food stand to cooking at food film festival i was even on nhk in 2016 they had a documentary on nhk that was huge right, that was huge that. That and was then from nhk qp yeah. mayonnaise yeah. <laughs> contacted me about doing stuff with qp mayonnaise mm -hmm. and then next thing you know i'm in japan you know, at the qp headquarters talking with them and then meeting all these contacts and i i kept thinking about you know how all these things kind of karmically just landed in my plate i guess from doing good work you know i guess you know you're you're doing good i hope i was doing good work and um so I kept thinking, you know, all this stuff is coming back to me. So what can I do to give back? So the best thing I could do is keep improving my cooking and keep putting my heart into it. Into it. Okay. So so that's right. one of those things as far right. as food. Right. Food goes my cooking career. As far as the New York Buddhist Church, I mean, I'm going there about 10 mm -hmm. years. And um, the Sangha, the community is getting older. You know, the, the community is getting older. And I, I foresee you know, big changes happening as far as, you know, new blood coming in and how to, and I think about what Reverend Seki wanted and what DT Suzuki wanted as far as propagating Buddhism in the West. So living, you know, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, you know, when Reverend Seki came, he, he saw New York Buddhist Church being in New York City as a as a center point for practicing buddhism in the west propagating buddhism and american buddhism you know beyond the japanese buddhism beyond an american buddhism right you know, so right. I, th I i think about that uh -huh. a lot i i think about that a lot and uh i think you know since i i was involved in taiko and uh involved with uh holdaiko with sodaiko uh involved with Kokushibudo Institute with KVI in the in the basement. I think about those things. And I, I think about what can I do to help sustain New York Buddhist Church for the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation. So one of my big things I want to do with New York Buddhist Church is I want to create an authentic late afternoon to early evening, almost into late evening. I want to create a, a real authentic Obon service, Matsuri festival which would involve getting uh you know the lanterns the taiko the the dancing uh open house for new york buddhist church and include the food aspect into it where i could get the food vendors from the japanese community to help create this authentic obon service right now we have our obon service in bryant park but we don't have the food there's many things that are, that are missing that are compared to the Obon services, the Bone festivals right. in Japan yeah. uh, and in the West Coast. So one of the things I want to take on as a thank you to the community is to create this gigantic Obon uh, festival where we could have all the foods, you know, all and uh, bridge the gap within the community and serve the community better. Uh, so you know, the native New Yorkers can enjoy you know, Japanese culture, uh, Buddhism, you know, you don't have to be Buddhist to practice Buddhism, you know, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and that's a, that's a, that's a huge thing undertaking you're thinking of putting together. But I think, I think it's quite noble of you to do something like this. And, 
and uh, giving back to the community is really important because the community has given to you and to me and to all of us so much. So uh, to be uh, grateful to give back um, is part of our practice. Right. Part of our Buddhist practice is gratitude. And I can, I can hear it in you that you have well, lots tough. of it's, gratitude. It's tough. Um, and yet you have a lot of energy too. Um, I, 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 I want to, you know, bring, <laughs> bring this podcast to a close. Um, and uh, I think what I like to, I was going to ask you in the very beginning, sure. but I forgot to ask you. So I'll ask you now. You have a lot of energy. I'm 39. Uh, this this year I'll be 40, celebrating the big 4-0 on July 1st. So, wow. well, you know, folks want to PayPal me some money on July 1st. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a big turning yeah, point yeah, when you become yeah. the big 4-0. <laughs> but you know what? Well, that's a well, big real turning quick, point I want to say one more thing, Ocean, is... So, you know, and I realize this on on the path of things is yeah. it's really hard because when you have these certain agendas, you know, you want to do these things and you have these great ideas, you know, at least for me, I'm the type of guy where, you know, I feel that I'm a very humble person. But at the same time, when when I, I, I get the center attention, you know, I think my ego builds and you know, that's one of my insecurities that I, I like to talk about. And I think maybe hopefully the listeners would uh, relate to. Is that, you know, when you, when you do these things, you know, your ego is going to build a little bit, you know, because it becomes your your thing, your baby, your project, you know. So I guess, you know, what we what we try to do and what we what we should always consider is that, you know, it's not about it's not about you. It's about us. It's about we. And it's more or less about doing the right thing that serves the greater whole. So. So these are the things that I think mm -hmm. that's it's hard for us in this uh, day and day and time and age with with the social media, the tech, uh, the smartphones, uh, the news and all those things. All these things are these become these outer influences that can that can really change your perception on many things. And it's unfortunate because I think, you know. Right now, I'm talking to you in a computer, you know, and I could text message my friends, but I think in a way it's like um we're closer but we're farther away we're we're and right uh, yeah i i i i think i know what what you're saying um we are seem closer but yet uh we are from distance wise right. we're not close in that regard um but um uh, I I can understand your feeling, um, and I can I can I can hear your passion for what you're doing, and um, I think uh, this conversation <laughs> is not going to end here. Um, I think um, you know we're we're going to have more podcast shows, and I'll keep our listeners informed and when think get really close to something really big happening and you can come back on and you can tell us all about oh, it. Oh, that'll be so great. I think that'll be very exciting to hear. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank you very much for, for being our guest today. And I want to thank everybody who's listening to us. And uh, just to close now, I'll say that more good things are coming. Bye -bye. So stay tuned. Bye. Bye.